Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right? I got bad news. It's going to be raining when you walk out of church. I feel like I've had to tell you that every week. Um, I said last week, welcome to Seattle. This week, it's welcome to the rainforest. I don't know. 10 out of 13 Sundays. God's trying to teach us something. I just haven't figured out the lesson yet. Uh, but hopefully, you'll be dry. We've got some umbrellas. We'll help you. Hopefully, if you're, if you're uh, proactive, you brought umbrellas with you. But uh, you're in for a great day. Uh, you know, I've been telling on myself a little bit in this series as we talked about dirt and as we've talked about a lot of different things. Uh, you know, I said I don't have a green thumb, and, and I, I don't. Like, I'm not, it's not even close. It's not even like a shade of green. I kill any plant, any living thing, you know, that's growing in the ground anywhere near me. I just don't have that skill set. I, I don't understand how to even do anything worthwhile with, with plants and things. Um, but in our, in our backyard, we moved into our house about two years ago. In our backyard when we moved in, there were these crepe myrtles along the side of the yard. And, I, and I've talked about this once before because I didn't really, honestly, because I don't have a, I didn't know what they were really. I just thought, oh, that's a neat little tree, kind of bush thing, you know, that was growing up in the yard. And, you know, it's kind of neat the way it does that. And, and we did not cut it back in time. I, I didn't know you had to do that. And so it just grew and grew and grew until it, it almost suffocated the house. And, um, and so we waited too long, and we started cutting back these crepe myrtles. And when we did, the, the trimmings from these crepe myrtles were like, honestly, like when we stacked them up, like almost as big as our house. And, and it took several truckloads, like sev- a, a, a large number of truckloads, to get them out of our yard. And so I was like, okay, well, I don't really, I don't have a truck, so we're going to have to get a friend to come help or whatever. And so we'll just stack them up to the side of the house, like over, out of the way. You won't see them. You don't see them from the front yard. You don't see them from the backyard. Well, what happened is what happens sometimes when you have projects that you kind of leave aside and you don't finish them. And I know some of you are like, why would you not do that? Why would you not do it the day of and just finish it before you go to bed so you have a, you know, a rest well? I, I didn't do that, and I apologize. I'm, I'm a terrible person. So I just put them over to the side, and I left them stacked there for, let's just, let's just call it, you know, if a day is like a thousand years with the Lord, I mean, let's just call it, let's just call it a while, all right? So long that they sat there that eventually there were things growing up out of this pile of tree trimmings to the point that it looked a little bit like this, even though we had just thrown like cut down trees and stuff. But, but really, that's what happened three weeks ago. We started this dirt series and we just put a pile of dirt on the ground and we started putting seed in there and look what sprouted. Isn't that amazing how that works? Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to conclude this series that we started uh, a couple weeks ago with this idea that, you know, dirt is something that we all have a visual. We all have something in our minds that we think about when we hear the word dirt. And so for us, I want us to go to Genesis chapter 1. If you got a Bible, I'd love for you to go there with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where we're going to read a passage of Scripture right after or right as a part of the creation story. And what we see in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, is that it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living 
creature. Now, here's what we've been talking about for the last couple weeks. We've been talking about the idea that in the creation story, God created the heavens and the earth. And as a part of him creating the heavens and the earth, he began to create all the living things that were and that, that we see now. And then as a part of that process, he reached down and he picked up dirt. He could have said, let there be human being. Let there be man, let there be woman. But he didn't do that according to what we read in Genesis chapter 1. It says that he took the dirt of the earth and he began to work it and mold it. And he kept working with it and kept shaping it and fashioning it until it began to look like his image. And when he saw that the dirt that he was forming looked like his image, he breathed the breath of life into that dirt, into the nostrils of what he had created. And from that point, we see that the man was a living creature. And so what we've talked about over the last few weeks is that even though we were formed from the dirt, we are no longer that substance of dirt because God put himself, he put his breath into us so that we were a living thing. And what we talked about over the last few weeks is that God primarily does three things. God is a God of formation. He formed the heavens and the earth. He formed man and woman out of the dirt. He is a God of formation. The second thing that we talked about is that God is a God of reformation or reformation because he takes things that are broken and he reforms them and repurposes them into something again. And we also see that God is a God of transformation, that God can take something that is and he can transform it into something completely new and completely different. And so for all of us, over these last few weeks, we've been looking at this idea that God is forming things and reforming things and transforming things. But as we really come back to the conclusion of all that we've talked about, we, we really recognize that you and I are unique. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I mean, you know, sometimes we tend to judge ourselves pretty harshly. And we don't judge others that harshly, but we look at ourselves and we see our flaws and we see the things that we're not good at and we see the things that we wish we were better at. We see the things when we look in the mirror that, wow, I wish I didn't have that feature. I wish I was, you know, this or that or whatever because we're judging ourselves. But we need to recognize that according to Scripture, we were fearfully and wonderfully made. That God intentionally and strategically formed us with a purpose, with an idea in mind. And, and, and you probably know this. We, we, you, know, you hear this all over, the different, all over the place. Maybe your parents told you this from an early age. But just look down at your hands. Just look at your hands. There's nobody in the world that has the exact same hands as you. No matter what Joey on Friends says, there is no twin hand model or whatever, the hand twin. The, the, you have a, a hand that is unlike anybody else in the world. Even if the base of their hand, the palm of their hand looks like yours, there are some things that are happening on the palm of their hand, your hand that are different than theirs. And for sure, once you get to the tips of your fingers, your fingerprints identify you as different and as unique from anybody else that's on the face of the earth. Wherever you go, whatever you touch, you leave a mark. And a forensic specialist could walk into this church later this afternoon and they could take some special dirt of their, of their own and they could scatter it around the building and they could brush it and things and they could figure out where you left your mark in this building and they could identify you because you have a unique way that you touch and leave an imprint on things. And some of you, just as an aside, some of you are walking around and you're, you're wrestling with those tough things in your life, the circumstances of your life, because somebody else came and left a mark on you. And you have been unable to move past that mark that they left on you 
and you're not really sure how to live out your own unique identity because you're still carrying some of the mark that they placed on you, physically, literally, or figuratively. But you and I were fearfully and wonderfully made. Nobody else in the world has a retina exactly like yours. Nobody else in the world has the exact same features down to the smallest details of your created being because you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were formed from the dirt and God breathed his life into me and you. And so today, as we conclude, we want to look at this idea that when God was doing that, God was doing something very specific. He was forming us and cultivating us. He he was developing us into all that he desired us to be. And there comes this point that after he has formed us and as he is cultivating us, we begin to produce something out of who we are. And depending on who you're allowing God to form you and shape you to be, if you're allowing what we talked about last week, for God to cultivate the soil of your heart and to really turn your life over and and unearth those things inside of you that he wants to use, if you're allowing him to do that, then something springs forth that begins to produce fruit in your life. And not just for your life, but for other people that interact with you in life. But if you're not allowing God to do that, and like we talked about last week, maybe it's a packed path, or maybe it's a rocky soil, or maybe it's a thorny soil, the things that would grow out of that soil are not going to bear the healthiest of fruit in your life because you're not allowing God to cultivate your heart and cultivate your life in the way that God wants to do for you. And so today I've got not just a a big pile of dirt with a tree sticking out of it, I've also got a big, big glass jar here with dirt in it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, the beginning part of verse 7, says that you are, we have a treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. So imagine today that this glass jar represents you. You are, you are filled with the dirt that was formed in you or that formed you, and you're filled with the dirt of the circumstances of your life and the negative things that have happened. And this is, this is you. This represents you. But what you don't know that I know, is that inside of this glass jar filled with dirt, I'm going to make a mess, is a gift. It's a treasure. You didn't know that. I knew that because I put it in there. And what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that's true for you and true for me today is that inside your earthen vessel, there's a treasure. As you walk around believing that you are dirt, if that's you, you are actually not allowing God to unearth the treasure that he has placed inside of you. And for all of us, as we walk around in life, we, we go, well, you know, I saw it this one time. I saw that gift inside of me. I saw that treasure. But it, it was kind of dirty because, you know, it's, it's got the remnants and the residue of kind of what's it's been inside. And, and there's dirt on it. And I just, I just kind of put it back in there. I, I just hid it away again because I didn't really know what to do with it. And, you know, people said, no, you're just you're good for nothing. You're dirty. You're, you're good. I, I can't. So I just, I just hid it away again. But what God desires to do is to take the treasure in the earthen vessel and bring it out to light so that it serves a greater purpose than just keeping it inside of you. 
Because there's seed that is planted in soil all over. But if you don't cultivate that soil, if you don't water that soil, if you don't allow the nutrients of the earth and the way that God created the heavens and the earth and the sun and the, the rain and all that to develop that seed, if the seed stays in there, it does you no good. But if the treasure that God has placed in earthen vessels, if you allow God to do a work in you, there is something that springs forth from your life that God wants to use for greater purposes than you and I can ever imagine he could do. Because he sees his reflection in you. He sees his reflection in you. That's a difficult thing to think because when you look in the mirror, you see the reflection of, of you. And again, that's filled with things that you probably wish you didn't see. You aren't so sure, like, I don't know if I like this. I'm not sure what this, I don't know, I wish this changed. But when God looks at you, he sees his reflection. And not only that, but he reaches deep inside this earthen vessel so that he can pull treasure out of you. And again, it has to be cleaned up. It has to be tweaked. It has to be cultivated as well. But there is a treasure inside of all of us that God desires to do something with. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to flip there with me for just a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see a passage of Scripture that's really one of the most famous passages of Scripture related to this idea of spiritual gifts. And maybe that's something you're very familiar with. Maybe you're not familiar with that at all. Maybe you have people that have taught you in different ways or you've read different things. And so we're going to take a, just a, a cursory look at it today. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, we read this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, you could keep reading, and what you recognize in the next few verses is that there begins to be a list of gifts that are outlined here that the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of people in the city of Corinth. And he's writing to them in reference to the church that they're establishing there in that city. And as a part of that, what he's telling them is, here's some things that you need to know about the way that you conduct yourselves when you're gathered together in corporate worship. Here's some things that you need to know about what God wants to do in your life personally. And in 1 Corinthians 12, what he's describing for them are these gifts of the Holy Spirit that are manifested in and through them. And according to the writing there in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians, we see that Paul is actually addressing some questions that they have sent to him. Paul was removed from them. He had been there, he left, and he's been removed from them now. And according to the way that we read this, this passage, some of the things that he writes, he writes and says, according to what you have asked, or in reference to something that you presented. So there was something that they had sent. Paul, can you help us understand some things more clearly that we are confused about? And so he's writing here in 1 Corinthians 12 about some things that perhaps they were confused about, whether it was in their corporate worship gatherings or in their individual lives. And one of the things, before we get to a list, you need to know is that there are several places in the New Testament where spiritual gifts are listed. They're specifically listed as a gift of the Spirit or spiritual gifts. But in each of those places, we do not see the same list repeated every time. Whether it's in Romans chapter 12, whether it's in 1 Corinthians, whether it's in the book of Ephesians, there are several places. And no matter where you read that list, it's not the same list repeated over and over, which kind of, oh, well, I don't know what that means. Okay, then maybe we're supposed to compile it. But what you do see is that on each of those lists, there is at least one carryover from a previous list, and then there's a bunch more that are added. 
And so when you read a list in 1 Corinthians 12, then you go to Romans chapter 12 and you see one of those that's in the, in the same group and then a new, a new list of groups. And then you go to maybe 1 Corinthians 14 and you see some other things that are listed there, but one that's carried over. And then you go to Ephesians and you see one or two that's listed there that's previous to a list and a couple more that are added. And I believe with all of my heart that the reason that it's written this way in the New Testament is that because it was never meant for us to compile an exhaustive list of the gifts of the Spirit of God. It was meant for us to see uh, just a, a little bit of the gifts, just a few of the gifts, so that we could go, okay, well then how might God be empowering me? How might God be unearthing the treasures inside of me out of the earthen vessel so that he could use it for his purposes? Because I don't see it maybe in the list of 1 Corinthians 12. I don't see it in the list of Romans. But I believe with all of my heart that what's being unearthed in me is something that God is doing inside of me and that God desires to use for greater purposes. So it's never meant to be an exhaustive list that all of the gifts of the Spirit that are listed there, that's all there is. I believe it's just a portion of the list. We even see that there is a place in the book of Exodus where before you get to the day of Acts, uh, the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts, before you ever see the Holy Spirit sent by Jesus after he ascends, before you ever get to that place in the book of Exodus, we see that there are craftsmen who are called to create the temple, create the, the place for the worshipers to come and gather. And it says that they are full of, filled with the Spirit of God in Exodus. That's in the Old Testament. And what I love about that, just as an aside here, not even in my notes, what I love about that is that the very first people that are described to be filled with the Spirit of God are not ministers, they're not pastors, they're not preachers, they're construction workers. Which tells me that God desires to fill us, every single one of us, with his Spirit to do greater works than we could do and accomplish on our own. And so what we see is that there is treasure in earthen vessels. And when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we recognize that a few truths come out of these verses before we even get into the list of things that the Apostle Paul wanted these people in Corinth to know. Look at verse 7 again. It's not going to be up on the screen, but look at verse 7 there in your Bible. He says, to each is given. The word there for each, when it's translated every other place in the New Testament, and, and each means the same thing, but every other place in the New Testament where that original word is translated, it is translated as the word everyone. To everyone is given the manifestation or the visible sign of the Spirit of God. And so whatever it is that you walked in here thinking, well, that's not for me, I'm not good enough, I haven't been Christian long enough, I believe for everyone there is the ability to receive the Spirit of God so that you can allow God to work in and through your life. And so we see that to each, to everyone, God's Spirit desires to do a work in us, to do a work in us through us. Everywhere that you see the word gift in this passage and in several other places related to this, I believe that this, this original word here, charis, it means gift, it means grace. Everywhere that you see it, it's, it's translated 78 other times in the New Testament. It, it means it's a grace. That word charis is where we get the idea of charity. Charis is spelled C-H-R-I-S. It's the idea of charity. It is a generous, loving gift that you give away. And so everywhere that we see the idea that the Spirit of God is giving gifts, he is giving grace to us out of his charity, out of his generous love towards us. He is gracefully entrusting treasure to us. He's placing it in earthen vessels, but not to stay down in the soil so that no one can ever see it. He wants it to be unearthed out of earthen vessels so that it can be used for his purposes. 
And so we recognize that it's a gift, it is a grace, it is charity from God. And here's the deal. When some people discover their gift, they get a little bit prideful about it. None of you, other people at other churches. But there are some, theoretically, that I've read about in books. And they go, well, you know, this is my gift. This, this, is, this is what God's blessed me with. And I think they've missed the point. Because what we read in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, is it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Your gift, your treasure, is not for you. It's for somebody else. It's for everybody else. That God has placed a treasure, a gift, inside of earthen vessels that he desires to unearth, to bring to the surface so that you can utilize that gift for the sake of other people. And if you ever get to the place where you are prideful, or as my mama used to call it, a little bit snooty, you need to check yourself. Because perhaps you have missed the point of the grace of God, the charity of God to give you the gifts that he's entrusted into your hands. The other thing that I see in this passage that is so important to me is that if everyone has the ability to receive the gifts and the treasure of God, and it is for the sake of the common good, then if you believe in any way what I'm telling you, and some of you don't, and that's okay, if you believe that I'm even telling a sliver of truth today, if you are not utilizing those gifts for the sake of someone else, you're out of alignment with the Word of God. And you go, well, well, that's tough to say. I don't have all my stuff together yet. I hadn't really figured out how to use it. I mean, it's still a little bit dirty. But what I say to you today is allow God to continue to cultivate you and use you and unearth some things and dust it off and help you to figure out how best to use it. But allow him by saying yes to him whenever he asks, yeah, God, I'll do it. Yeah, God, I'll, I'll use it. I don't even know how to use this yet. But God, if you will help me, if you will equip me, I'm willing. We talk about the story a lot of Moses standing in front of the burning bush before he would go and stand before Pharaoh and set the captives free, and he argued with God, and God eventually sent Aaron and said, okay, he'll be your mouthpiece. But what God promised him in Exodus that I believe he promises to all of us today is he said, I will go with you. And he said, I will teach you. I will train you everything that you need to know. My power goes. God is not looking for your specific ability. He's just looking for your availability. He's just looking for you to be willing to say yes I'll go. Yes, you can use this gift. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm not really certain how it's going to be used, but I will say yes, and God, you do with me and through me whatever it is that you desire to do. And within the church body, that is a necessary part of the way that the community of faith exists, the way that it operates. I mean, when you walked in today, there were people that were greeting you. When you walk out in a few minutes, there will be people that will be holding umbrellas for you. And you go, well, what's, what, what is that gift? Listen, I've met some people. I don't want them holding an umbrella anywhere near me. They don't have the gift of hospitality. They don't have the gift of service. They're mean and ornery. And we'd sent them to other churches. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. If you have a gift inside of you, you go, you know what? I, I, don't, even, I, I don't even know 
how to use it. But what if you just said yes? What if you didn't even know the question? You said, yeah, God, I'll do it. You know what? I, they've been talk, they talk about Canton Life every single Sunday that I'm here. I could quote the announcement back to them. Have you been? Have you heard of the opportunities that may exist for you to use your gifts in the body? And you say, well, I don't want to use my gifts here. Okay, that's fine. Maybe there's other places that you can utilize your gifts in the community, in other organizations, other nonprofits, in your home, in ways that you haven't ever experienced before. Because God does not want you to take the treasure that he's placed in your life and bury it down in the earthen vessels. He wants it to be unearthed so it can be used for the common good. And if you're not doing that, you need to check yourself. The gift's not for you, and it's not meant to be stay buried. It is meant to be unearthed. Gifts are grace. They're grace of God toward you and toward me. And so that means that sometimes we have to get over our discomfort, over our insecurities, and allow God to do something in and through us that we could not do on our own. You know, in the Gospels, we see a lot of stories about the life and ministry of Jesus. When I say the Gospels, I'm talking about the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the book of John, in John chapter 2, we see the first recorded miracle in the ministry of Jesus. It doesn't start out looking like it's going to be a miracle. It just looks like Jesus shows up at a wedding with a bunch of his friends. And so he just shows up at this wedding party, and the weddings were a little bit different than most of the weddings here that you and I might attend, because they lasted for several days. And so Jesus and, and, and his boys, they all show up. And when they get there, pretty quickly there is a problem that is discovered. They've run out of wine at the party. And so Jesus' mother says to the servants, she doesn't even talk to Jesus. And any of you that have ever had a mother like this, you know how this works. Mama doesn't even talk to you. She just talks to other people. And here's what she says to the servants. Do whatever he says to do. Now, this is the first recorded miracle, so we can't be sure that he hasn't done other miracles already. There may have been other things that he's already performed, other miraculous signs and things that he has done, and so the disciples have seen it, and, and Mary has seen it, and so she knows like he has the ability to do this. I just picture in my head, this is not in the Bible, okay? So just if, if you're like, I'm only going to listen to things in the Bible, just turn off the hearing aid for a second, because here's the deal. I think with all of my heart, that there were times, perhaps, as Jesus was growing up in his home, that he just accidentally did the miraculous. I cannot prove that, okay? I can't prove it. But I think there might have been days when he woke up and his half-brother James told Mary and Joseph, Mom and Dad, <clears throat> I got a little tickle today. <clears throat> I can't go to school. And Jesus is like, be healed. We're going to school. Let's go. I don't know. I don't know if that happened. I can't prove it. But I kind of think maybe I've got some sons. They like to show off for one another. And I kind of think maybe that was what happened. And Mary's like, what did he just do? He just, James doesn't have a tickle in his throat. So when we get to the wedding in Cana, I, I believe that perhaps Mary knew Jesus can fix this. And so she looked at the servants and she said, do whatever he says. Now, as the story unfolds, it's this incredible story that we don't have time to unpack completely today. But one of the things that I want you to see is that Jesus then tells them to take the six 
huge stone jars, stone pitchers, stone, like huge, big, open things that they would pour water into. He says, take these. Your translation may call them earthen vessels. He says, take these six and fill them with water. Now, as you read the story, there is nowhere up to the point of the actual miracle that Jesus tells them what he's going to do. He just tells them to fill these huge six earthen vessels with water. And as he has them fill them up, I don't know if they picked them up and carried them to the water source and filled them and brought them back, which would have been several hundred pounds six times over, or if they left it there and went over and picked it up one kind of jug of water at a time and came and poured it in the earthen vessels. I have no idea. But all I know is that once all six earthen vessels were filled up, Jesus said, now take some out and go serve it to the master. If I'm the servant, I'm a little bit confused because we don't serve water at our parties. I'm not sure why he would tell me to do this. I just watched water go in. But here's what you need to know. When Jesus is involved, what goes in is not the same as what comes out. Because you and I are earthen vessels that were formed from the dirt. But when God breathes into us, what comes out is not the same as what went in. And so they, they just, I mean, I don't know why he's having me do this. But they take the cup, they take the ladle, whatever it is they had. They just dip it in and they take it to the master and he drinks it. And he says, wait, something Something's different. Because at most of the weddings that I go to, they, they serve the good stuff up front and they serve the bad stuff later because nobody's going to notice. But you have saved the best for life. What went in is not the same as what came out. And in your life and in my life, I am convinced that some of us believe that whatever is inside of us is all that will ever come out of us. That whatever you've experienced in your life, every hardship that you've ever experienced, every pain that you've ever experienced, every negative word that anybody's ever said to you that went into your ear, it got down into your soul and you are convinced that whatever they named you, whatever they claimed about you, that that's the truth of your reality and that's all that can ever come out of you. But God says there is treasure in earthen vessels and I want to unearth that for the common good. I desire to do something that will absolutely blow your mind because something went in and something different comes out. That is the way that God works. But you and I want to try to hold on to what went in and hold on to what we want to come out. I might say it this way. We want to hold on to who we used to be and we want to try to catch who we're trying to be. And here's the truth. You can't be who you're going to be and who you used to be at the same time. It's impossible. You cannot be who you're going to be and who you used to be at the same time. You got to let go of one of them. You have to release one of those realities because you and I can't be what went in and what's coming out. 
Because the enemy wants you to believe every bad and negative thing that's ever gone in. And I believe with all of my heart that what God is saying to you is that I can do something different in you. You saw dirt go in, but his image is coming out. You, you saw hurt go in, but healing can come out. You saw brokenness go in, but restoration is coming out. You saw defeat go in, but victory can come out because when he gets involved and he breathes his breath into you and into me, he changes, he transforms everything that we thought we were. Everything that we thought we were. Because he transforms things. What goes in is not the same as what comes out. And so the question today is, do you believe that? Do you believe that God can transform the dirt of your life into a new reality? Do you believe that God can take who you used to be and transform you into who you are going to be? Until you get to that place of living by faith and, and hoping as much as you possibly can that God is a God that keeps his word and God is a God that transforms things, we will always hold on to who we used to be. But the moment that we let it go, the moment that we release it, and we say, God, you know what? I believe you've placed treasure in earthen vessels like me. And I'm asking you to take that treasure, take that gift, take that grace, take that charity, and I'm asking you to help me say yes. To help me say yes. I don't even know what the question is. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know how you're going to use it, but I'm asking you to help me say yes. And here's what I believe. When you do that, dirt becomes pretty sweet. Today, when you leave, they're going to hand you a cup filled with dirt and worms. I'm not going to eat that. I'll get choked. You say, well, that's not really dirt. Neither are you. Neither are you. Because what went into you is not what has to come out of you. God's got a new plan and a new work for your life. Do you believe it? Are you willing to scoop down into an earthen vessel that you know was filled with water because you watched it go in and trust that God can transform what's coming out. If we collectively, everybody who calls Canton Church home, across both of our services, people that come every single week and people that come once a year, people that drive by this place but feel an affinity for it, if we collectively would say yes to God, we don't want to be identified by what we used to be, but we're willing to be identified by who we're going to be. If we would say yes to God and allow him to use the gifts and the treasures that he's placed inside of us for the sake of the common good, there is no end to what God can do through us. There is no limit to what God can accomplish through us. Not so that we get prideful or snooty, but so that we can say, God, Thank you for your grace. 
Thank you for your charity that you would entrust into me, that you would place treasure inside earthen vessels, that I would allow you to unearth and to discover so that it could be used for the common good. And God, I'm asking you to take the mess of my life and the dirt of my life and every bad thing that's ever happened to me and every negative word that's ever been said to me. And God, I'm asking you to transform that and use it so that I can help bless somebody else and say, you know what? Somebody called me something that like they just called you. Somebody else, I, I experienced just what you're walking through right now, but God's grace is enough. His love is sufficient. His forgiveness can reach you no matter how far you think you've gone. God, will you unearth treasure from earthen vessels? I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment today. With nobody looking around, if you would say to me, as we've done every single week, Jeremy, today, before we pray about anything else, I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I need God to do something in my heart and in my life. I need Him to forgive my sins. I recognize that I am a sinner. Well, guess what? You're not alone. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So welcome to a group of people that have walked the same journey that you walked or a similar journey. But God's grace was enough, and it's enough for you today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I, I want God to unearth some treasure in my life. And not only that, but I want to be able to say yes to him, to use that treasure, to use that gift for his purposes, even if it makes me uncomfortable. And so today I'm committing to say yes. Would you lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. So many hands. Now look at me right here before we pray. Don't stop with a hand uplifted. Do something. Take a step. Put it into action. Tell somebody. Go to the information center. Tell the person sitting beside you. I raised my hand today. I want God to use the gifts. I want him to unearth the gifts in me. And I'm telling you, we'll help you. And I, it's not a sales pitch. It may not be in our church, but we'll try to help you to the best of our ability to find the right place for you to use that gift. So don't just lift your hand and pray and go home in a minute. Take a step and allow God to use you. God, I pray right now for every person in this place. I thank you for those who have decided to follow you today. I thank you for the opportunity for them to acknowledge that they need you as the Lord and Savior of their life. And so God, do that transformational work in their heart today. Forgive their sins and lead their lives from this moment forward. God, now I pray for every person that's lifted their hands today to ask you to accomplish something great in their life. God, I'm asking you today to unearth that treasure out of their earthen vessel. God, to trust you like never before. God, even if they're uncomfortable, even if they're insecure, God, even if they don't know how you're going to accomplish it, God, would you do something in their lives as they say yes to you? God, use their gifts like never before. Help them to recognize the gifts that have been placed inside of them. Maybe they've read scripture and assumed that because the things that they were good at weren't listed, that maybe they weren't gifted by God. But God, help them to see themselves the way that you see them. Unearth treasure today. Use it for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.